0: Try my best. Maybe at best I try to look like I try my best. But what if there's a God who can actually read my heart? The Bible tells us that God can and God does read our hearts, our lives, our minds, our motives, our every action, public and secret. and because of this and all the more, because of the sin of our lives, we are immediately, every one of us, deserving of God's judgment. And the fact that we can even talk of a future day of final judgment, in fact, can you see, is evidence of God's patience with us. He's giving us a chance. Buying us some time because God is relentless in his mercy, even in the face of judgment. You see, friends, the good news is not that judgment doesn't exist. The good news is that God in his love takes the judgment that you and I deserve. David executed judgment. Jesus, the son of David, executed judgment by letting himself be executed. He took the sword so that you and I wouldn't have to. When Jesus hung on the cross, he suffered literal hell on earth. He bore the full brunt of my future final judgment, and he did it in my place. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. The rescue we need is a rescue from Jesus, his judgment. The rescue we get is a rescue by Jesus, his mercy. As John Stott put it succinctly, God himself gave himself to save us from himself. There is no rescue that you'll find from the judgment of God, but in the mercy of God given to us in the Son of God. So do you know the reality of God's judgment today? It's not a topic that we like to think about It's a topic, in fact, that most of us prefer to avoid. Do you know the reality of God's judgment? More importantly, do you know the reality of God's mercy and his his love? Now, this might sound like an odd invitation, but will you spend some time this week pondering the judgment of God? And really, by saying that, I'm not trying to scare you, Or depress you. But rather, I'm inviting you to a deeper, richer, more freeing understanding of the love and the grace of God. Because you will never truly understand the powerful, infinite, life-changing love of Jesus unless you know the judgment of Jesus. You might know a little bit of sentimentality, You might know a little bit of polite religiosity, but you cannot know the love of God apart from understanding the backdrop of the judgment of God. That from which you have been, you must be saved, rescued. A rescuing king, a judging king, and this leads us to our final point that David proved to be a generous king. A generous king. Back to my kids for a second. Over lunch, we were discussing yesterday some of the animated movies that they had seen. And so, as we talked about the mean grasshoppers in A Bug's Life. Yeah, we go way back, right? And the conniving Uncle Scar in The Lion King. And of course, the two-faced Hans in Frozen, my daughter interrupted with this observation, Daddy, how come everybody wants to be king? Isn't that the truth? Everybody wants to be king because most kings are out to hoard power and plunder for themselves. But David does the exact opposite. We're told that David took all the flocks and herds and all the livestock as plunder. And in verse 26, when David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. This is just absolutely phenomenal. David doesn't hoard the plunder for himself. He distributes it freely among his people. Most people in positions of power use that power to exalt themselves. Jesus, the son of David, is the only king who wins and then exalts you. Gives you a name. Gives you a seat at the table at the expense of himself because this king is a generous king. He's a servant king. He's a dying king giving away power and privilege, giving away life so that you might live. Ephesians 4 picks up on this imagery and portrays Jesus as a victorious king ascending to his throne. And as he's doing so, generously giving gifts to his people, generously sharing the plunder of victory with his people. Do do you know the generosity of Jesus like that? Lavish with grace, unending in his kindness toward you. But generosity is sometimes controversial, isn't it? Do you remember how earlier 200 of David's men were too exhausted to fight and so they stayed behind? Do you remember that? Well, some of the other guys who actually did go the distance and fight complained. Verse 22 Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. And you can understand the sentiment. We fought. We earned it, didn't we? But listen to David's reply in verse 23. No, no, my brothers, you must not do that with do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us. He has delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. In other words, God won this battle. You didn't earn this stuff. God gave it as a gift. Both combatants and non-combatants must share the spoil equally. And so Jesus does not withhold but spreads grace generously across all people who come to him by faith in his name, by the work of his cross, that we might have equal standing together as common beneficiaries of his untold grace. Can you imagine what this was like for the 200 to hear? I mean, think about it. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're convinced you couldn't save yourself, let alone your wife and your children. And imagine the maybe the shame of giving up. Collapsed by the valley. Maybe even with images of your enslaved spouse or kids flashing through your mind. Here's David, not for a second, ever despising such helplessness. Jesus doesn't either. He says, I will fight for you. Even when you're nowhere to be found on the battlefield, I will fight for you as your substitute in your place. And afterwards, I'll treat you as if you were the greatest hero in the fight. This is the gospel. Not just getting what you do deserve in judgment, but not getting what you don't deserve in honor, in joy, in status, in gifts, in the love of the Father. That the Son of God himself alone deserves. This is grace. This is the generosity of the king. And when it starts to sink deeply enough into your heart, it begins to transform your soul. And you start to become just like this king, this rescuing king, this generous king, this king of justice. We begin to be more eager to take risks ourselves to rescue others, both spiritually as well as socially. Because you're so full of joy, overflowing joy, that you yourself have been rescued by the king. You become more eager to share whatever benefits you've received in life. Whether sharing the gospel with a neighbor or sharing your dinner table with a stranger. But Jesus has been so lavish in his kindness to you. How can you not start to be the same to those around you? Because God's people become a sharing people because Jesus has shared with you. Do you know this king? Have you been touched by this king? This rescuing king? Yes, this judging king. This generous king. Do you not just see him? Have you received him? Do you not just know him? Do you love him? Let's pray. Because that's what we seek to do, Lord to see you, to love you, to become more like you. Do that in our midst by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. Once you have a seat, amen. So questions, we like to have a little time of Q&A and give you a chance to interact or ask what might be on your minds based on the passage itself or something I said. Um, if you're new to the church, feel, feel free to jump in and ask. Any question is fair game. Whatever religious persuasion you are coming from, that's what this time is for, it's for you. Uh, so what questions do you have? Glossy, you're just eager today, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Right. You, you may not have been here yesterday, but we tackled this very question. So let me go through it very quickly. Uh, the question was, um, can we, do we have any place of identifying calamities, disasters, things that happen and say there's the judgment of God upon people? And I think the quick answer is the Bible is clear that God uses all kinds of circumstances, both good and bad, as ways of both blessing and judging people. The problem is we don't know the mind and the heart of God. He does do this, but we don't have the answer key. So, for example, the reason why we don't know always is because sometimes Romans 1 tells us, again, this is going to sound very familiar if you were here last week, sometimes uh, Romans 1 tells us uh, the worst form of judgment that God places upon people in this life is to give them all the self-destructive desires of their hearts. So you might think life is going great, but that actually, if it's harmful to your life and soul and relationships, especially your relationship with God, actually could be a form of judgment. Prosperity can be the temporal judgment of God. So just to illustrate that, you've got to be careful in terms of making a conclusion. That's the judgment of God. This is the judgment of God. And so I think the most humble thing to do is to say, we don't know. The Bible hasn't said in specific circumstances or in every way. An earthquake always is a judgment of God because partly, as we know, even through trials and calamities, much mercy and glory can come about as well. God has his redeemed purposes through certain events as well. So I think the most important thing is for us to stay humble, generally stay quiet. Jesus even said so in a different situation when people uh, were saying, oh, did this tower fall over, da-da-da, and did this man become, um, uh, was he born blind because of some sin in him or his parents? Jesus said, no, that's not why. It's for the glory of God. So um, generally, the best wisdom is for us not to try to connect dots where God hasn't authorized us to. Others? Yes, sir, Bob. So, yes, uh, never life, but- yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, and so, you know, the ephod and all of that, it's this curious thing where David is, for a moment, assuming the role of a priest where he's connecting and speaking with God directly. Now, we don't have that now since Christ and since his apostles. What we have is a more sure word, the written word of God. That's how God speaks to us most clearly. And so that's where we'll find the best principles and guidance as to, okay, I get wrong, now what do I do? And I think what we find in Scripture is some of the stuff we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, the call to love our enemies, uh, especially individually. So one thing that needs to be clear is last week we saw David loving his enemies, enemy Saul trying to kill him and yet here we see him engaging in warfare and judgment well what's the difference with Saul that was David's personal act of mercy with the Amalekites David was representing the state and more largely God himself and I think there's a difference as well where uh, whatever a person might if they wronged you in a criminal way whatever they might deserve under the law God calls us to engage personally with mercy not to say that's easy. Um, even calling us to dare to forgive, not to retaliate, um, but also giving us freedom to seek justice as well. So I think it's a complex moral ethical issue. I think it depends on the situation, um, but I think God's word gives us some principles that we can work with. It's good. Others, yeah. Um, so in talking to non-Christians about yeah. Of God, yeah. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who knows God's love,
1: it's easy for me, or it's easier for me to trust his treasure. Yeah. But um and also looking at the world collectively Yes. The, the right. But, um how, uh, how to
0: like bridge that gap between like hell and like an individual. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. it's good. These are hard. Yeah. So whatever your spiritual background, these are hard questions, aren't they? Um, whether if you are a Christian or if you're brand new to Christianity. So the question here is for those that resist this idea of judgment, especially if it feels disproportional to the crime, for example. And, and just to take that one sliver, because I know there are a couple pieces in there. A lot of people feel like, okay, so I'm a human being and I do a couple bad things, fine, but holy hell, like this is eternal damnation. This is serious. Uh, and it feels disproportionate. It feels actually unjust. And I think the critical thing to understand is that oftentimes the offense of our crime is measured, not just according to the perpetrator of the crime but of the party offended. See, so we actually have this principle already embedded even in our civil laws. So for example, if I uh, do something wrong to you, um, that's not a good thing. I shouldn't do that. Uh, but we, if I were to um, retaliate against a police officer, well, we have heightened protections for good reasons for law enforcement officers. If we were to do that against the mayor, it heightens it even more. If we were to do something offensive or even violent against the president, you'll find your face on the ground really quickly, right? So to the degree that a person holds honor or status or special office in society, we say there is greater offense committed against that person because of who they are not because of who I am and not even just because of what I've done the same thing goes well how much more with God a God of infinite holiness infinite beauty infinite glory infinite worth infinite everything even though I'm finite for me to offend him with my selfishness and sin and my indifference and my rebellion and my hatred and my all of that both towards God and towards those that are made in his image and therefore towards God, the offense is incalculably infinite and therefore deserving of eternal, limitless punishment. You, 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 it's I presented it logically, but it's the sort of thing that's supposed to drive you to your knees um, because this is how the Bible calculates uh, the worth of, uh, the, the, the worth of the, the judgment worth of the sins that we commit. Let's keep talking. there's a lot more there and let me just round this time out by saying, but Jesus, who took infinite, eternal condemnation, hell itself that we deserve, now cumulatively across all those who would trust in him one day, on the cross in that moment, suffering it. All for you and me, that we might be forgiven, that we might know grace, that we might receive mercy rather than judgment from him. This is the good news of Jesus. And this is what this table is all about, and I want to invite you to it. A table where you can eat that story. You can remind your soul where Jesus can feed it into your heart. Because he says, look, I know you don't want to believe this. I know it's hard to believe this. I know it's hard to believe good news. So eat good news. Take it in. Dine with me at this table. Let me feed your weak and weary soul. Let me pray for this communion time. Jesus, we are asking that you would come and be present as you promise you will be. Thank you so much for these moments, this time this table, this bread and wine and juice, that's ordinary stuff that you promise to use in an extraordinary way to pour fresh grace into our soul. So help us. Help us again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. we got two stations in the front, one in the back. You can come up and just jump to anyone that works for you. Come and join in line right away if you'd like to. Or you can wait and sit and pray and reflect in your seat. It is totally up to you. We have bread and crackers for those with allergies. Wine and juice, your choice. Just stick the cups after you're done in the big baskets before you leave. If you're not taking communion, maybe because you're like, I'm just starting to grapple with this stuff. Or I'm just getting to know who Jesus is, but I haven't totally embraced him yet. We want to honor your conscience and ask that this wouldn't be the right time for you to come up and participate in what is sort of this symbolic taking in all over again of Jesus. We'd love for you to do that one day soon. But maybe today's a day where you can think about the things you heard. Or pray to God, which is just talking to him. Or where you can just reflect and jot down some notes. A great way for you to spend this time. For those of you that want prayer, maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you feel like, man, I need rescue. We got a prayer team, uh, two sets of members here that would love to pray with you. Bring your troubles to the Lord through these friends. It's Anna and uh, Frank, and they would uh, love to meet you in the back corner there. If maybe you're out of words but you just need prayer, someone can pray for you. Let's come forward and let's participate in communion or in whatever way that you need the grace of God. He's available to you come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you.